prayer and then we can dive right into it. God, again, we just thank you for this opportunity of study. We pray even now, Father God, for all those that are here. We pray for those, Father God, that are on the way. We pray for those, Father God, that for whatever reason could not make it this evening. Praying that you touch, touch households even now, Father God. We recognize that so many are struggling even now. We pray for them. And God, we need you. We need you as we tackle chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Romans, Father God. Can't do this without your spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm asking for a fresh dough. Mm-hmm. Again, bless your children. And the son's sake, we ask all this. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Like I was saying, it's good to have a new study this evening. It's good for us to. Uh, again, tackle this uh, sixth chapter of Romans. Uh, we'll just be doing a review of six. I think we did a pretty good job of getting through it um, last week. Um, but if you have any questions, you're more than welcome on, on six or even any of the previous chapters. You're more than welcome to throw that out there. This is um, uh, some heavy stuff that we've been dealing with, but uh, through God's grace, we have uh, pressed along, and so uh, we're asking again that He bless this uh, this hour. Uh, in Romans 6, uh, the question, if you will, is, uh, you know, we can, or the thought is we can live lives of victory. In Romans 7, is we can live liberated lives. And in 8, we can live secure lives. And uh, we understand that with Romans 6, Paul uh, continues to anticipate um, the rejections that will come from this thought of justification. And, and we, uh, last week, um, as we kind of walk through six, uh, we had what Paul's instruction for attaining victory over sin, and that's what, that was this idea of, of knowing. Then we had this this idea the believer is dead to sin. We talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the believer should not serve sin. That was verses six through ten. We talked about this idea of, of yielding and, and how we are to yield. Does that sound familiar? There are still steps of surrendering in our lives, but the initial step is necessary. We understand that this is a continued walk. Uh, but there's got to be an initial point where we said that we're going to, uh, we're going to, to work toward this thing. Really the overarching thing, and it kind of changed for us, what, in five? About, I think it was chapter five. Uh, verse 21, we kind of go from this idea of uh, salvation and how he wrestled with this uh, salvation, and now we kind of start walking into the idea of what? Sanctification. Alright? With this idea of becoming more and more righteous every, every day. So that's, that's uh, where we're continuing this idea of, of sanctification. Uh, again, this dying to live, and this idea of yield, while we are to yield, we talk about favor, we talked about because we have freedom, and we talked about because we're called to, to be fruitful. All right, so each day that we live, we know that we have been crucified with Christ and dead to sin. We reckon this fact to be true in our own life, and we yield ourselves to God. So that, that's just that summary, if you will, of chapter 
of chapter 6. Any questions? Any questions with 6? Alright, if you, you flip through that PowerPoint and you see any more, um, or you have a thought that you want to bring up, feel free to do that. Alright, so now let's, uh, let's look, at, look at chapter 7. This is, this is where our study has brought us to on this wet not really cold, but wet day. <laughs> Everybody got that PowerPoint? Okay, alright. Um, again, we, we, uh, we're kind of pulling and using as a structure a Warren, Warren Wiersbe's, Wiersbe's uh, a book on this, alright? So, study on the letter to the Romans, the righteousness of of God, and again, overarching thought is this sanctification. Kind of keep that, keep that in mind. Right. A couple of, a couple of notes, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start with the verses. Doctor, uh, Doctor Weirdby, he argues this that our human nature makes us want extremes. The extreme of license, and this is what was dealt with in Romans 6, right? The idea that since we are free, we can live as we please. Right? That's what, that's what Paul, uh, he knew they would ask that. Because if indeed we uh, were no longer under the law, and, and uh, we're now under grace, and, and so we're going to help God out, and we're going to sin even more to get more grace. And that's what he, that's what he wrestled with in 6. That there's no way you can do that, right? If we're truly unrighteous and we're truly walking in Christ, then we do what with sin? We actually flee from sin. Understanding that our works do not get us into, into, into heaven. We're already justified. But with that justification, we should have a turning of the heart as well. Alright? So that's why we can't just uh, uh, sit in sin or continue in sin. Uh, and, well, I'm going to put it into... In, um, you can't act any old way and say that we're truly converted. It doesn't, it doesn't work out. So again, we see the extreme of license that way. And out of seven, he's gonna he's gonna deal with the extreme going in a different direction, right? The extreme expression of legalism. This idea um, that we cannot ignore God's law. So we are saved by grace. But even with that grace, we must uh, we must have something under the law that we need to do to please God. That's what legalism is, right? Legalism is again this idea that I'm going to help God in this other direction. I'm not going to keep on sinning. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got a list of stuff that I'm going to keep in order to, to make sure um, I know and everybody else knows that I'm holy. Alright? So that's that's legalism. So we're going to, we're going to look at that. Paul shows how to know, how to wreck it, and yield and start getting victory over the habits of the flesh. As we get spiritually stronger, we sometimes start to seek deeper into our own hearts and discover more sins. Think about that. What does, what does the law do? The law reveals sin, right? We talked about it, that there was nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is what? A taskmaster. It tells you that, yes, you have messed up. The problem with the law is there's nothing within it to deal with that problem. That's the problem. That's the problem with the law. 
Okay? Does that make does that make sense? Okay. And so with this, so with this thought that, that uh, Dr. Worsby is talking about, he's saying as we as we grow and we start understanding just how sinful we are, we even discover more sin. But there's some stuff I didn't even know I was messing up with until I, until I started getting close with the Lord. God's holy law takes on new power. We wonder if we can ever do anything good. And with this thought, it's easy to move into legalism. In fact, one of your um, reformation, Martin Luther, um, he became he became almost paranoid to the point of this. They said he used to go into confession. This one he was a monk. He'd go into confession, and they said he would it would be something as little as be coveting someone's uh, rice cake over there. And they said he would spend hours confessing. Well, finally, they would say, well, you don't have to do all that. So he was neurotic in that. But what he did is he had an understanding that our heart that was so sin. And if you're not careful again, you'll move into a legalistic approach where you, you try to set up a method to deal with that. Now, grace, you don't have a method to deal with that, right? Okay, all right. So what is legalism? The belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws. All right? We begin measuring spirituality by do's and by don'ts. Legalism sees sins but not sin. All right? So chew on that. So legalism sees sins, the plural. All right? So when you're legalistic, you see everybody that's chewing gum in church, right? You see everybody that's, that's running, and everybody that's walking during the prayer, and how dare they, and they're walking during the scripture, and how dare they. But you miss, you miss the action of seeing, which is singing, you miss the root of it. Okay? Legalism judges the outward and not the end. Talk a little bit about more about that. Legalists fail to understand the real purpose of God's law or the relationship between law and grace. And we'll unquote that. Living holy lives based on high standards can lead to spiritual and emotional damage. Think about it in your own life those times where we may have some legalistic, uh, some legalism within us now. You know? But, but think about those times where um, when you when you wrestle with perfection in your walk. Think about how difficult it was to to be around you. Think about how hard it was for maybe your spouse and your children. Think about how hard it was for yourself. When you face when you based your uh, standing with God on how how uh, perfect you were that day, or how your X's and O's lined up that day, and if you didn't do that, if you didn't get that right, then you know you almost had to do penance. You almost had to make up for it, and that can be that that'll wear you out quicker than anything. He talked about that. I think I've got it in notes somewhere, but if not, I'll cover it now. Uh, he talks about even even churches that are legalistic in their approach, how damaging they can be. 
don't yield your fruit. And even in those times, we didn't yield your fruit. It leads to critical, unforgiving, and unloving people. Okay. All right, so let's let's kind of break some of this down. It's about 7.17, so let's, let's break some of this down. We're going to look at 1 through 6. And for those that were here Sunday, some of this is going to sound familiar to you because we did, uh, we did preach out of this a little bit. But we're going to look at the authority of the law. The authority of the law. Chapter 7. And let's look at, I tell you what, I'm going to read it in its entirety just because I think it'll give you a, a better idea. Or do you not know, brethren, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress. Though she has married another man, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the simple passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It's a powerful, powerful thought. I'm really, um, this is, this is going to kind of play off what Paul started in Romans 6 and 15. And he uses the analogy of a, of a, a husband and wife, right? Mm -hmm. He had been using the master and servant quite a bit, so now he comes with a different, a different analogy. And, and again, in, in order for this analogy to work, I think I said that even Sunday, we, we've got to understand just how important a marriage is. The problem with this analogy for, for a lot of us these days is we don't take marriage seriously. If you don't take the biblical sense of marriage, then this analogy is not going to make any sense to you. But if you take the biblical sense of marriage, uh, the, 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 you got what, Genesis 2? The two become one, right? And, and, and we literally become one person. And, say that one more time. One thing, okay, that's a good question, and I'm going to give you an answer to that. But I want you to understand that this analogy really doesn't give you a, um, it, it's not really designed to give you the rules on marriage. All right, so you have to be careful when you start getting into, well, so when can I divorce and all that? You don't want to do that with this analogy. All right, this is a, a simple analogy, it's not simple, but it's a simple analogy in that it wants you to see the union of marriage and the importance of marriage. Now, to answer your question, biblically, this is this is what I this is the way I understand marriage and, and divorce and all that. We understand that what what God has put together, no man can tear apart or tear asunder. So if we've gotten into a marriage and we divorce for whatever reason, 
And the first thing we all have to be honest and say is that God didn't put this together. Mm-hmm. You have to say that. You have, you have to say that because what he's put together, no man can tear apart. Now, with that being said, um, I'm never going to counsel somebody and tell them that divorce is the worst thing in the world you better not ever do. Because number one, if I do that, then I'm going to walk out of here. Right. I've been through a divorce. Right. <laughs> Fear that yeah. I, I think what we've done, and, and I, I see where you're going with it, um, and there are some avenues in Scripture. In fact, he said, he said because he said because of you all's heart, I've hardened hearts. I've allowed some stuff. So again, biblically, we have to understand that if God's put it together, there's nothing that can tear apart. We also have to understand, and we're right there, that man's heart is simple, and there's some things that happen that cause a separation, and 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 that's just that's just what that's just where we're at. Um, but but I do think that you have to establish that at some point God didn't put this together. Now we're gonna move on, but God didn't put that together. We weren't honest. Mm-hmm. You have to say that. Yeah, so that, that, but but with that being said, God God allows you. Look, God's allowed me in this marriage to have a, a fruitful marriage. He allowed my second marriage, probably really biblically my first marriage. Now, the books is the second, but biblically that's probably the first. One. This is the one that God gave me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I put the other one together. You have to say. But, but at the same time, I don't want anybody to leave, leave here thinking that my, my, my marriage, um, I'm divorced and now I'm going to hell. God, God understands. God. But God. Um, but, but God, um, God allows. He allows through his grace our mistakes to not harm us. Uh, good question though. Good question. So, so what we want to do with this analogy though is we want to, we have to understand that that a marriage is a God thing. It's a union before him. Alright? The two become one. You understand that? And then this analogy starts making sense to us. Alright? So, um, so now we've got that we've got that third way. So let's let's look at a, a, a few a few points to make sure we get this. We died to the law, right? That's four and five. I'm sorry, Miss Green, did you have a question? I'm sorry. Sure. Okay. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the simple passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. Alright? The law, keep in mind, the law did not die. We died. Alright? And when we died, we trusted Christ and we were united to Him. Alright? So that's that's where this analogy is at. Is that uh, once, let let me break it down. 
you have a law of marriage that we're under as married folks, right? Once that once that other spouse dies, we are no longer under the authority of that marriage of law. The marriage of law didn't go anywhere. It's still out there. It still applies to the other folks that are married. But now for me, I have no it has no authority for me because I'm a single person. Right? That's the first part of it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> your strength. Uh, <laughs> we'll answer that off, off camera. But, <laughs> and so what that does with but that's a good that's a good point. It does free us up now to come back to our new life and marry who? Or be joined to Christ. That's the analogy that, that we have right here. Dead to the old life. Now I'm, I'm, I'm free, and you're free to unite in Him. And so now that no longer that law of marriage no longer has authority on that old law. Same sense now I died to the law. The law has no authority over me as a Christian, as a believer. I'm under grace. Alright? That's what that doubt is coming from. Law no longer has dominion over us. But we are not lawless. We understand that. We don't need to live any old way because now we're united to Christ. In an old life of sin, we brought forth what? Death. That's the fruit we bring forth as sinners, right? And all you got to do is you look back when you weren't in Christ. And I wasn't in Christ. Think of what you were yielding. That was a mess. In the new life of grace, we bring forth fruit unto God. Dead to law means our motivation and our that and the dynamic of our lives does not come from the law. Again, the law does not come from us. Alright? We are delivered from the law. That's in, that's in six. But now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Alright? The law cannot exercise authority over a dead person. Alright? You can't go you can't go yell at that spouse in the in the in the uh, cemetery. They're dead, right? So that doesn't that doesn't do anything for them. And so the death then becomes a deliverance. We are married to Christ and delivered to serve. With our new lives, the Holy Spirit energizes us as we seek to obey and to serve. Under law written on the stone, it is read to us, right? What did Moses do? Moses read the law. That has no look. I think I used the analogy. I know I used it last week. I think I used it Sunday. What, what happens when you tell somebody not to do something? They're going to do it. They're going to do it, right? Especially if you tell a child, don't you touch that. And what's going to happen? They, um, in, in one, of, one of my studies, they used the, they used the story, one of these great hotels they built in Texas, in Galveston, Texas, and it was on the waterfront, uh, close to a pier. And, and they said that um, people used to, people used to literally fish from on top, on, from the top floors. And they said when the wind would come, that, well, I don't know, the fish 
dishes or whatever those things were, the bearings or whatever on the pole would smack those windows and crack their windows. And so they were trying to figure out how in the world they were going to stop people from fishing. You know? and, and they thought of this. They said, why don't we just remove the signs and say no fishing? And once they moved the signs that said no fishing, they stopped fishing. And that tells you a picture of, of, of where we're at in our sinful nature. Look, the problem with us is we don't want to be told anything. We don't want to be told a thing. And that's why, you know, church, that's why we wrestle with church, that's why we wrestle in our household. We don't want anybody to tell us anything. And that's all. And that's that, that's that human nature. That rebellious, rebellious nature. We are married to Christ and delivered to serve. We understand that. And under grace, okay, where I'm going, so the, so the difference now is that it was written on the tablets. And we know that ain't even that grace. Right. You know, when he said, don't do this and don't do that, and thou should not covet, and thou should not steal. That's something in us that says, in fact, it talks talk about it arouses sin in us. Stuff we didn't even know was sin. We hear about it, don't do it, we go try it, right? But what grace does is grace writes it on your heart. That's a difference, right? That's the only grace that's now written on our heart. 2 Corinthians 3 and 3 outlines that. It's now written on our hearts. So we're delivered from the law. The ministry, again, that was Now we're going to look at, as Chris is in the law, now we're going to look at the ministry of the law. The ministry of the law. So the law reveals sin. And again, we, we touched on this. But 7-7. Seven, seven. What shall we say then? And that's one of Paul's favorite things, right? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not I would not have known covetous unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Alright? So again, we're going back to this idea that sin or, or the law, nothing wrong with the law. Right? The law, in fact, came from who? God. So it's holy. Alright? They use a and I thought he did a good job with this. The rich young ruler. We all know that story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, what do the rich, we, we, we read that story, there's a lot of angles to it. But ultimately, we, we leave saying what? The rich young ruler needed to say. Well, because he lived in this legalistic world, we don't have any indication that he ever, he ever turned to God, right? He left. He left because he had his legalistic mind. He, he, didn't, he couldn't fathom this idea of falling under his grace. Alright? So moral outwardly, but had never faced the sins within. What was him? Jesus told him about the law to show his sinfulness. Alright? Same thing with us. The law reveals that we need grace. The law doesn't do anything. It, it shows us how messed up we are. It shows us how much we need. We need to save. 
You're saying, well, why, do, why do I even study the Old Testament then? If we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. Why do I even study the Old Testament? One reason you study the Old Testament is to figure out just how simple we are and how simple I am and how messed up I am. But we also need good case examples out of the Old Testament. And we talk about the character study and all that. But if anything, the law reveals just how messed up I am. I appreciate them. I should. After reading that, I should appreciate them a little. Of course, he rejected Christ and went away unconverted because of covetousness, right? And it's, and it's funny that he uses, uh, in this example, he could, he could have used any sin. He used what? Covetousness, right? Covetousness is really a sin that in and of itself is hard to see. It's really a heart issue. You can't really tell that I'm coveting something until, until my outward. Yeah. yeah. I could, I could covet and I guess spiritually it would eventually come out. But I can cover for a long time before you all even know that. And so it's, it's interesting that Paul uses this because he could have used it. He could have used the kill. And we would say, well, shit, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't kill, I'm good. But you know, he used the sin, he used the sin that, that all of us are familiar with. But it's one that's really a heart, a heart issue. Okay. Well, they're all really heart issues, but when you talk about covetousness, uh, it's an inward, it's an inward um, sin, if you will, that again, I can have and you all would not see. Yeah, that's what I mean by that. All of even killing, stealing, we know it's a heart issue. They're all heart issues. Uh, but but covetousness is an inward thing, if you will. And I think Paul, I think Paul picked that for a reason. I think he picked covetousness for a reason. I Yeah. Yeah, you can be a good preacher and good deacon. Yeah. And still covet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you pulled that one. And again, we're talking about, oh, you could have used any of them. Ultimately, I'll, what, it, what it means is, um, you know, when you're talking about the law, um, period, I realize that the, it, it reveals just how simple we are. And so you can sum up with that and pick any of them. So the law arouses sin. We've already, we've already touched on we've already touched on that, but let's read through that. Eight, eight and nine. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. <laughs> this is interesting. Again, I was sitting there in my studies earlier today, and I was thinking, you know what? It's, it's, you know, let me go ahead and throw the question out. If you, would have, if you would have thrown it at me, I would say, I would have been honest and say, I don't We can wrestle about that. In a sense, I'm almost better to just leave you alone. If I'm not going to turn to Christ, I don't even need you to tell me about the law. I just need you just leave me alone and let me sit in my, in my mess and not even know. Once you once the law is given to you and it's revealed to you, 
you're, you're worse off. You're worse off than just starting to cry. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're literally, you're literally worse off. Uh, see, see Paul's relationship to the law, and that's in Philippians three one through eleven. And um, and look, one thing when you talk about relationship to the law, and, and God knows what He's doing. He picks um, when in, in Paul, in Paul discussing this, in discussing legalism. Paul has a great background for this. And we call Paul himself called himself what the Jews of Jews. I mean, Paul had PhDs. Paul set up the feet of Amelia. Uh, Paul came from the right stock. I mean, Paul had all of this. And he said that I walked in that. I walked in the fact that I was built for this. And then he said he got to the point where I figured out that all that was done. He was, he was so, quote unquote, right. And he took it upon himself to do what? To round up, round up those uh, those by the way, the Christians at the time. And put them in jail, right? I mean, that's how zealous, that's how zealous Paul, Paul was. So he understood, he understood the dangers of the law. Human nature wants to rebel whenever the law is given. I've already given that example. The carnal mind is in enmity against God. That's Romans 8 and 7. Believers who try to live by rules and regulations discover the legalistic system arouses sin and creates more problems. Again, we've already talked about that. If you want to watch the folks mess up, put a sign right there that says don't do it. <coughs> uh, see, Galatians is the effect of legalism. You can look at that in your own study. Galatians 5. 3, 13 through 18. But again, law arouses sin. So, so sin is almost torment, if you will. And the law, man's old, let's make sure we understand, man's human old man attaches to the law and creates that, that sin, if that makes sense. You can't have the law sin by Myself. Don't do that. It's our, it's our nature, our old nature, our old man. I'm trying to get away from old nature. I was reading some stuff the other day, listening to it, and they, they really say you got to be careful that I be of old nature because we're, we've got new nature, man. So I kind of understand what he's talking about. He, he says, go with the old man, verse 4, old nature. Put the phrase, I understand. But, but the problem with the law is that my sin. My sin nature attaches to it. Not that anything's wrong with the law in and of itself. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. Alright? Go ahead, Brother
the law has already been written on their heart, or can you explain that part? Well, let's, let's let's go back to what we talked about when we were talking about the Hebrews in the first um, the first couple of meetings that we had. There's still going to be a level of understanding that that individual will be held accountable. Um, so we we understand that even in the midst in the far off region, in the deepest jungles, there's still there's still some some elements of God within that. That, that there's going to be an expectation uh, to we call it the heathen. We call Paul terminology. Um, so so to answer, I, I think this is what, what you're looking for. Um, look, we're all created in the image of God. Okay, and so with with that, there's an imprint of God on all of us. And so nobody will have the opportunity to go and say that they did not get any, any type of revelation of God. Does that, does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I didn't ask you a question. Keep, keep coming at me. But, um, um, so even this person that needed, and we're close to it in the United States, we're going to have folks that are, that are unbiased, you know, they're unchurched. We're very close to it. We're probably already there. Um, um, but with that being said, there will be a, a level of understanding. But your level, you're going to be held to a higher standard in understanding some elements of the scripture than some other elements. With that being said, they still they still need righteousness to come come before a perfect God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So there will still be there will still be um, that situation where they're going to have to answer for their sins just like you and I. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no excuse. And 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 look, I, I wrestle with that just like so. You know, what do you do with those folks that don't get any? You just trust that through God's Spirit, everybody will get some revelation of His goodness. The question is not about the This, um, what I'll say is, number one, I don't believe there's anybody who's neutral in their beliefs. Everybody's got to do something. Yeah. Sounds good that you can raise your hand and say, hey, I'm neutral and I'm good. But everybody believes something. Um, and, and, and with that, but there's, a, there's a great series out there, um, The Case for Christ. Scrolling series. And, and I'd write that, I'd read some of that. In fact, we may read that as a church. Write that down. But there's a case for Christ. He's got a number, he's got a couple series out there. Lee Strobel. But he kind of walked, he was an atheist. And he kind of walks through that his, his life 
on how you became a believer. Lee Strobel, S-T-R-O-B-E-L. But with that being said, look, there's atheists in the church. There's atheists that come here every Sunday. Maybe not see the top, but but there's folks. Look, you got folks in seminary that teach that teach biblical courses that are that are atheists. You know, so so you um, so don't be surprised that you've got people that are wrestling with, with faith issues. That's what they're doing. They're wrestling. And what you don't want, and we talked about it, you don't want him to turn you over to a reprobate. You don't want to ever get to that point where he's done. He's done. So, so the gentleman that you're talking about, whoever, um, pray for him. And the best thing that I can do is I'm around somebody the day that, that I know um, I'm close with, and he, he admires me. Um, he said, look, I'm atheist. And the Lord revealed to me that the best thing I can do is, is, is be as solid as I can be to A sermon lives is always going to be more effective than a sermon. Something. That's right. And, and the problem with the problem is that the church has not been we, we damaged some folks. We we have damaged some folks. So the law kills. So we see the law arises sin, arouses sin, then we see the law kills uh, as well, 10 and 11. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, take an occasion by the commandment, deceive me, and it killed me. Alright? So we understand again, the law cannot give life. It shows the sinner that he is guilty. Churches under the law cannot bear spiritual truth. Alright? So again, I went for the law. I thought the law was going to help me. The law showed me where I was messing up even more. And again, you say, well, what are they doing on the That's why you keep having the sacrifices over and atoning for that sin over and over again. Right? Romans 7, 7 through 13. The law shows the sinfulness of sin. That sounds kind of funny, but you'll see what I'm talking about. 12, 13. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. We talked about that. As in what is good. As in what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Mm-hmm. Alright? Uh, I think next week I'm probably going to who has the New Living what translations do I have? The New Living Translation breaks that down. Um, there's a couple parts and really the Greek, it doesn't transfer well to, to the English. Um, I'll, read, I'll read Swindoll's who, who, uh, the New Living Translation. I'll read it right here. And it kind, of, it kind of breaks that down uh, a, a, little bit, a little bit better, if you, if you will. But unsaved people know sin, but do not know the sinfulness of sin. We talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. We, we messed up, but we don't know how much we're messing up. We as believers excuse our sins. We do the same thing, though. We say it's just what? A little white lie, just a mistake here and there. We miss just how, how deep our sins are. We must see just how wicked our sins are. Paul says the law is not simple, it is holy, it is just, it is good. The law reveals sin, arouses sin, and then it uses sin to actually destroy us, our slaves. 
The problem, again, is not with the law. The problem is my sinful nature. Alright? You have no way. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, we we all we all have yeah, we're all we're all at the um, at the feet at the feet of the cross if you will.
Sin dwells in us as it relates to the old nature. We understand that. It all, it's also true that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and enables victory. Salvation makes man whole, but the believer's mind, body, and will can still be controlled by the new nature of the old nature. Again, you have to be careful saying that there's a yin and a yang. All right? We're, we're, we're under the new nature, right? But we understand that, that the carnal side has not gone through conversion. It won't go through conversion until regeneration. Right? So we and ourselves cannot obey God's law, and when, and when we do, evil is still present. What he's saying. So deeds are tainted by sin, and at best still unprofitable service. So without the Holy Spirit, even if I'm doing something good, my intentions are not good. Right. You got to do you got to. It doesn't take a whole lot to figure that out. We, we know that. That's why you can have you can have one of the, you can have a preacher come in here and preach his socks off. And still not going to The law cannot enable us to continue to do good. In Romans 6, the problem was again, how can I stop doing bad things? In Romans 7, is how can I ever do anything good? Legalists say, obey the law and you will do good. The law, again, cannot enable us to do good because we have this sinful nature. The law cannot set us free. Old nature wants to keep us in bondage, right? We know that. All you got to do again is take a look at your own life. If we try to keep the law, we cannot have continued success. Again, think about those times when you had your little checklist. You tried to keep it. You couldn't keep it, right? If we move under the law, we make the old nature stronger. And if you actually look at 1 Corinthians 15 and 56, it actually says the strength of sin is law. Right? Law is a magnet that draws out all kinds of sin. We become discouraged and we become tired. And again, I open up with the lesson at uh, just how tiring it is to keep those rules. Think about those times when you figured it was a rule keeping thing. That's exhausting. And think of look, and it's think about the times that we wore those folks out around us, trying to keep trying to get them to keep rules, trying to make sure they see us when we're not, when we uh, when we're perfect. That's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting being perfect. There, there's nothing, there's nothing more damaging or more depleting of your energy than having to be having to be perfect. That'll deplete your energy quicker than anything. The person tied to Christ is dead to the law and not under this authority. He is alive to God and able to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not drawn down on your own power. You're drawn on the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not live a divided life. Again, one must have been out. Alright? So you can't have this yin and yang and all that. One of them, I said this Sunday, I think I said it a couple times, bro. What, what we feed, that old nature of the new nature will be the one that will grow this alive. If we depend on the energy of the flesh, we cannot serve God, please God, or do anything good. Power to obey his will through the Holy Spirit. And we'll end it with this. The flesh is at war with God and cannot serve him. We bring forth fruit because we are alive in Christ. Mm -hmm.
So again, that's that's seven right there. I thought he'd do, you know, he opened up with that analogy so they give us a, a, a clear picture that we are to we are to die, die to that, to that law, to that old man. What's that? Daily. Oh yeah. Well that daily that daily death comes from the fact that we're still um, that there's still some pieces of that old nature. Yeah. But with that being said, justification, again, that's a that's a single step. When I when I became a believer, my stance or my uh, my position with him was secure. You, you can't have me working towards getting closer to God. I'm as close to him. In, in the in the sense as far as my stance as I can do. It's set. That's what the old church said. It's set. My record is set. Now as far as though, as far as me growing in my relationship to Christ in the carnal sense, if you will, build up that spirit man, that's what you're talking about now down the line. But I want you to think that you're becoming more um, uh, more right with God if you will. You know, that righteousness is already Taking place. I can't become more right with you. Through his spirit, he continues to work to work on my on my situation. And yours too. Yeah. Is it a daily fight? Just a fight that you fought, and you know, you say, I'm saved, I won, it's over, then it's. No, it's a, it's a fight. Yeah, I, look, um, I was saved, I am saved, and I'm being saved. Theologically, that's where you, that's where you put it. Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, there's a regeneration, there's a sanctification. Regeneration is being one step um, done, and there's sanctification. That's the process of you becoming more holy. And the glorification is what I leave here. So yeah, I, 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 I was saved, I am saved, and um, I'm being saved. Any questions? You're kind. You're kind. It's, it's, a, it's a tough study, but I, I think I think we're I think we're grasping this way a, a little bit. So. God, again, we thank you for this opportunity of study and praise in our heart. God, we continue to uh, chew on these, uh, these words from, from Paul about what he was spirit years and years ago that's still relevant today. All that we're saying, all that we're doing, Father God, is acceptable in your sight. We're praying this and making for a better journey. We're praying, Father God, that although we're sure our salvation, this is, uh, this is bring us even closer in our relationship with you, Father God. Thank you. We thank you for these few moments together. Again, bless all those that are here. Bless those, Father God, that are ours and 
They're not here and they're not ours to pray for. Mm -hmm. And we lift up again, deep and still. Yeah. So in the sun's sake, we ask all these things. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you all.